Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled, fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded to, together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. Good evening. It's good to be together once again this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the presence of each and every one here. Uh, we have a good number that has returned to be with us this evening. And uh, I guess I should preach 53 minutes more often if it's going to have that kind of return. You know, that's That was a joke. You, you can trust that's a joke. <laughs> Uh, no, we're thankful for the presence of everyone here tonight. We're glad that you have come back to be with us, and we have visitors who are in our midst. We're especially grateful for your presence, and we encourage you to come back at any chance that you have an opportunity. We're glad that you are with us. We hope that you are treated as an honored guest, and if you see anything that we say or do that you have questions about or concerns about, Bring them to our attention and let's sit down and study from the Word of God together. That is our aim. And if there is anything that I say that's wrong or that you have a concern about, then let's study it out And because I only want to follow what the Word of God says. And so I hope that is your desire as well. If you would be turning to the Old Testament, the book of Judges, we have been in the midst of a study from the book of Judges over the past several weeks where we have noticed what... God's children, children of Israel, were going through during that time. They have come to dwell into the promised land that God had given them, but they have compromised their faith. They have not been completely loyal and faithful and allegiant to God. They have been turning away from the things that God really intended for them to do and to follow. They have not been keeping the, the law as God had encouraged them and as Moses had told them to do, as Moses had instructed them. And so they immediately come into the land and they compromise. And because of that, God was angry with the children of Israel. He brought them uh, into punishment. He would send different tribes and different uh, nations against them. And they would be enslaved while they were in the promised land. It was not how God intended for the children of Israel to live. And because of that, Israel would recognize that they had sinned, that they had turned away from doing what was right. And they would therefore cry out to God to ask for deliverance. They would ask for a deliverer, someone to come and to lead them, to bring them out of this enslavement. And you had, you had judges like Shamgar, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, or Gideon, as we looked at last week. 
And you had several different judges that would come and lead the children of Israel. They would deliver them for a period of time. And then it would be like on the back of your shampoo bottle, wash, rinse, and repeat. They would just repeat the cycle all over again. Where they would have to, they, they would be enslaved and the whole cycle would occur over and over and over. Eventually, this is going to lead way to complete and utter anarchy in, among God's people in Israel. As we will see as we close out the book of Judges, it leads to complete and utter chaos for them. But this evening I want us to look at Jephthah, a judge in Israel, who is somewhat of a unique judge as we will look at some of his life story and how he became to be a judge in Israel he is one of the unique ones, to say the least. And he was someone who did something that is somewhat notorious in that he made a vow to God. And there's a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts about it, and we will look at that this evening. But we need to first understand who Jephthah really is. And that he is a valiant warrior as the Scripture presents him. There in chapter 11 in verse 1 it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior. And that reminds us of the description of Gideon, doesn't it? As we looked at last week in Gideon being a mighty warrior as he was there actually kind of hiding from the Ammonites. In, in Judges chapter 6, when the Lord appeared to him, and the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And so as we are first introduced to Jephthah, he automatically kind of is hyperlinked, if you will, back to Gideon. That he reminds us a little bit of Gideon. That here is a man who is a warrior. He is going to be someone who fights for Israel. But he has a little sketchy background. That he is the son of a harlot. And you can imagine being the son of a harlot in Israel where that kind of thing was frowned upon. How he might have been treated as this social outcast. And not only was he a social outcast, he was cast out by his own family. It says there in verse 2 that he is the... Uh, Gilead was his father. And in verse 2 it says, Gilead's wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. That you have here, while Gilead had had relations with a harlot, and then he comes to settle down with another woman, and they have sons, and Jephthah's half-siblings drive Jephthah out from the only family that he really had. And since he was forced to live without the guidance and protection of parents and family and loved ones, he is forced to live on his own, to live on the streets. 
to be around worthless people. People with no moral fiber, no moral backbone. And he was influenced by the scoundrels, by the worthless ones. And he is of the tribe of Gad. We learn in chapter 10 and verse 18 that the people, the leaders of Gilead, Gilead is not just a man but a city, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the sons of Ammon? He shall become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. He is from the tribe of Gad. He is from Gilead. And that's where he roots from. Where his roots would, where he'd call home. He was a social outcast. He was disowned by his family. And yet this is the one that God is going to work through. As you continue on in verse 4, it says in chapter 11, it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they came to Jephthah. Come and be our chief that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? It's kind of an interesting event here that takes place. That here Jephthah is asking them, Why have you come to me? You didn't defend me whenever I needed some help, when I needed someone. Now you're ready to make me a judge or a ruler over your city? Because you need help? It, you have to wonder, and only we could only speculate why they would be motivated to go get Jephthah. Of all people that might be there, why would they go get him? Maybe they felt like he, if they lost him in battle, then it would be no big loss. Maybe they knew that he was a valiant warrior, that he alone could deliver Israel. Nevertheless, it says in verse 8, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, for this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and chief over them, and Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. So he sets himself up to be this chief among the people. You continue on to read about the encounters that he would have with the sons of Ammon. In verse 21, it says, The Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country.
verse 27, it says, as uh, I therefore have not sinned against you, but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord, the judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. What I find so intriguing here about Jephthah is that he recognizes that even though he was not appointed by God, Israel appointed him. God still worked through him, and he recognized that while he might be an instrument for God, that he might be a judge in the kingdom of God, that God would be judge in the kingdom of God. He says, the Lord is going to judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. And the king of the sons of Ammon takes his heart and Continuing on in verse 29, now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. What we see throughout this is first we have Jephthah's So as we come to see that Jephthah is a hero and he's a judge in Israel, that he is this great warrior, we learn about the state of
the first thing that comes across the door of my house, the threshold of my house, when I come back in peace, after having delivered Israel, that is the thing that I will offer. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And so it says in verse 32, So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Aror to the entrance of Manith, twenty cities and as far as Abel Kermim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. That here you have Jephthah leading the charge. They take twenty cities here. There's no doubt about their victory. And so it says in verse 34, When Jephthah came to his house at Mitzvah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. This died... Yeah, okay. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And as Jephthah's daughter was the first thing to come out of his house to celebrate her father's victory. She was the first to come out and see him. And the fact is that she was his one and only child. And so it says in verse 35, when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. And I've given my word to the Lord and I cannot take it back. So she replies in verse 36, So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, Go. He sent her away for two months and she left her with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father who did to her according to the vow which she had made and she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. These events are probably the most interesting things that actually occur in the story of Jephthah. That we wonder what happened here. It's kind of mysterious as we read. It's a little strange in its reading. Because we wonder, did he kill his daughter? Did he sacrifice her as a burnt offering? As he had vowed, whatever comes out of the doors of my house, it shall be the Lord's. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Did he do such? 
The Lord had given him deliverance. And the scripture says in verse 39, At the end of two months she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel. We're not told explicitly what happened to Jephthah's daughter. We're told that he kept his vow. But this becomes somewhat of a cliffhanger. Maybe you remember the back in the 80s, the Who Shot J.R. cliffhanger. It's something of that kind of caliber. <coughs> and what Jephthah said, that whatever came across the doors of his house, we don't know exactly what he may or may not have intended. The word there for house that is used in the Hebrew, it means a dwelling place, a, a habitation, a palace, a prison, a garden, a temple, a tabernacle. It can also mean the shelter or abode of animals that he could have intended to be referring to the barn, basically. And thinking about strictly an animal sacrifice. Maybe that's what he was thinking. The Hebrew is a little ambiguous in what Jephthah says, and the text is a little bit ambiguous, but Jephthah might have intended or assumed that an animal might have been the first thing to come across the threshold of the barn rather than his daughter. Nevertheless, we are left with the question did Jephthah kill his daughter? Does the story end in the shedding of blood and her corpse being thrown upon an altar and burned? And there are really two major views in dealing with this text. The first is that he did indeed kill his daughter. That he killed her as a sacrifice to God in keeping the vow. Because it does say in verse 39 that he did in according to the vow which he had made. That seems to suggest that he did keep the vow and he killed his daughter and offered her as a burnt offering. And many people who believe that he killed his daughter and burned her as a sacrifice, they point to his words there in the vow that he made in verse 31 that it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house, that whatever or whomever comes out of the doors of my house, that the language allows for it to be a person. And what you have is that through his own careless words in this view, that Jephthah kills his daughter, that through his careless words, we learn how truly powerful our words can be. It doesn't make him a hero for keeping his vow, per se. But it does suggest that he was guided and influenced by worldly and idolatrous ways of thinking. And some have argued that he was bound to keep his vow and kill his daughter if he was going to do the right, noble, honorable thing. And so some see Jephthah as this tragedy of depravity. 
And we need to see God's faithfulness in light of human error and sin. And I believe that we certainly need to trust in God's faithfulness, especially in light of our sin. And whatever happened to Jephthah's daughter was a real shame because as one person said, it has a seriously flawed, it shows a seriously flawed understanding of God and how he intentionally thought God would be pleased with a human sacrifice. That's one view of what happened. There's another view that I believe we seriously ought to consider tonight. The other view is that Jephthah did not kill his daughter, but instead dedicated her to the Lord, and that she remained a virgin all of her life, thus bringing an end to her lineage and Jephthah's lineage. And that she was essentially... that the line of Jephthah came to an end that day. And just as an FYI, this, that's my preferred interpretation here. And someone might say, well, Sean, that sounds like you're just trying to kind of hide this or skirt around the difficulty here. That you're just trying to hide this man's sin and his, his rash vow, and you're trying to clean up this bloody mess. And you don't need to exonerate him. I'm not trying to exonerate him. I'm not trying to defend Jephthah. What he said, he made a very rash vow. He was very careless with his words, and we're going to have some things to say about that tonight. We certainly need to learn from this story that we have to give very careful consideration to our words and the things that we say. However, I do believe it's equally flawed thinking to think that God would be satisfied with Jephthah for offering his only child as a human sacrifice. In the book of 2 Kings, in chapter 17 and in verse 17, it says, Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire and practiced divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him. And in the days of Israel that they would offer their sons and their daughters to the God of Molech in serving their idols and worshiping the idols of the Canaanites. And this was something that was provoking the Lord. God was never pleased with this. With a notion of offering your sons and your daughters as a sacrifice, God was not pleased. In Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 5, Jeremiah spoke about this very same problem and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal as a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. God was never pleased with the idea of an ant, a human sacrifice. Human sacrifices were not God's plan. They were not something that God was pleased with. Killing innocent children was something that God has taken no pleasure in. And that's something that we ought to think about, especially in light of abortion and things like that. God does not delight 
in the loss of innocent life. It's not something that God commanded or ever decreed. And it's not something that God was ever pleased with in finding acceptable in His sight. And I think what we have to wrestle with in the context of Judges chapter 11, here, as soon as Jephthah comes home, as soon as Jephthah comes home and his daughter comes out to greet him, she asks to go away for two months. And then the story became, becomes a little bit strange because it brings up the idea of her virginity, doesn't it? It says in verse 37, that she said to her father, let, me, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, go. So he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. That's what I find kind of strange about the story. If someone dies, you mourn their death. You don't mourn the fact that they were a virgin. So if she is killed, then what's the point in remembering her virginity? Why is that even brought up here? What the view that holds that she was dedicated to the Lord, that she became something like a nun, or what Hannah did with Samuel in sending him to the temple to serve the Lord, to be given over to the Lord. I believe that's something kind of like what was in store for her. And someone might say, well, you know, Sean, I just don't, I'm not convinced by that. Because verse 39 says that he did to her the vow which he had made. And so, obviously, he had to keep the vow that he made. No changes, no alterations, no amendments to the vow. And I believe that is a, somewhat of a misunderstanding of how vows were conducted under the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, in, in Numbers chapter 30, what we see is Moses is writing here and he is speaking to the children of Israel and reminding them of some of the things that ought to be done concerning vows. In Numbers chapter 30 and in verse 1, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's the principle that Moses sets forth. That if there is a vow that is made, he is under obligation to keep it. However, you continue to read in verse uh, 9, it talks about, but if a woman who makes a vow, if the vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, everything which she has bound herself shall stand against her. He continues on in verse 12, talking about a woman who has a husband, but if her husband indeed annuls them, that is her vow, on the day he hears them, 
then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. Her husband has annulled them and the Lord will forgive her. Here you have a situation that the law of Moses is acknowledging that a woman might make a vow to God. And if her husband hears a third party, another party hears those vows, he can annul them. He can say, no, you're not under obligation to keep that. And so that, that vow could be annulled, it could be done away with, and the Lord would forgive her for not keeping the vow. Furthermore, in the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 5, in Leviticus chapter 5, and in verse 4, as various kinds of sins and were being discussed here in Leviticus chapter 5 that would require a guilt offering where that if you committed this sin, you accrued guilt and that you needed forgiveness that a sacrifice was required, a sacrifice was necessary. In Leviticus chapter 5 and in verse 4, notice what Moses says here. He says, Or if a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, in whatever matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with an oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty in one of these. Does that begin to sound a little bit like Jephthah? who makes a, a vow, but he doesn't know what he's saying because he's been so careless and thoughtless with his words. He goes on in verse 5, So it shall be when he becomes guilty in one of these that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. What we are seeing is that vows that were careless, they could cause sin. And if you were going to sin by keeping the vow, then you didn't have to keep the vow. You could be forgiven. You could you accrued guilt for not keeping the vow, but you could go and make a sacrifice in behalf of that. And so what you have is that Jephthah could keep the vow in strict terms, if you will. He could follow the letter of the vow and do something unlawful, do something sinful, such as offering his child to as a burnt offering. Even though the scriptures in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21 say, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. God was not pleased with animal or human sacrifices. So that is one option that he kept the vow and sinned even more. Or. Jephthah kept the vow, or, or he could break the vow, obtain mercy and forgiveness, as we have seen in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 12 and Leviticus chapter 5. That there was forgiveness 
And if you made a rash vow, if you said something, or if you made a decree, someone else, like a husband, could annul the vow. There was a a system of annulling and changing, modifying vows, even under the law. I think if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we've all said something very rash in a moment of anger or a moment of disappointment, out of frustration, something foolish and stupid. And we know that as soon as we said that, that if we actually did that, that would cause us to sin even more. We've all probably been there at some point. I know I have. And as we might teach our children that two wrongs do not make a right, two stupid things like vowing something that was kind of dumb and actually fulfilling the vow that was was dumb that you shouldn't have made in the first place, that doesn't make one smart. That doesn't make one noble or honorable. A vow made in haste and earnest, yet could cause someone to sin, I don't believe God expected that vow to be kept. Breaking vows was not an unforgivable sin. Certainly, though, if you made a vow, it was a very serious matter. And God expected vows to be paid quickly. In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and in verse 21, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and in verse 21, Moses said this to the children of Israel, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. So do not delay. Keep the vow. Keep it quickly. And yet what did Jephthah do? He allows his daughter to go away for two months. That doesn't sound like he kept the vow quickly. And so it seems that Jephthah, he could either keep the vow and do something unlawful, break another law that God had, had said, or he could break the vow but obtain mercy and forgiveness. And he could still find a way to honor God. He could find a way to honor God dedicating his daughter to the Lord, allowing her to remain a virgin the rest of her life, effectively bringing an end to his lineage. Maybe none of those things satisfy you in in this discussion, and that's okay. If you have another alternative, then let me let me hear it. I'd love to, to think about it some more. But I think it's also helpful to think about Jephthah with in comparison to other figures in the Old Testament. Remember Abraham and how God tested Abraham and told him to go and to offer his son Isaac? Well, it's not a direct comparison. It is something of an interesting point uh, of correlation that Jephthah made a vow that to God that he would sacrifice whatever came out of his door. And while Abraham 
was told to go and offer his, his son, the son of promise, Abraham was willing to do it, yet God stopped him from doing it. And Jephthah knew that he had made an oath to God, and he took that very seriously. He comes back and he's, he's saying, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, that you are the thing that is troubling me. Jephthah took his word seriously. But just as God stopped Abraham from offering his son Isaac, we're not told that God stopped Jephthah. But would God want Jephthah to do something that was contrary to his will? As we have noted, God allowed vows to be changed, to be modified, and to be adapted. Vows could be annulled. They could be forgiven. Vows that were careless and caused sin did not have to be carried out. Atonement was still needed because you sinned in not keeping the vow. So Jephthah could keep the vow and sin and do something that was displeasing to God, or he could break the vow, do something that's displeasing to God, and obtain forgiveness and the life of his daughter would be preserved. Remember Samson? We haven't studied him yet, but we will in a few weeks. Samson, he was under the Nazarite vow. And how many times did he break that vow? He broke that vow a lot, didn't he? He broke that vow a lot, but at the end of his life he repented and he's mentioned in the very same verse that Jephthah is mentioned in in Hebrews chapter 11. Breaking a vow is not the end all be all. Even King Saul, remember in 1 King or in 1 Samuel chapter 14, perhaps this is the clearest and best example to go to because in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul is engaged in battle with the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and in verse 24, it says, Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. You continue to read, and guess who's the first one to eat, not knowing what happens. It's his own son, Jonathan. In verse 43, it says, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I must die. Saul said, May God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Must Jonathan die who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. The people prevented Saul from keeping the vow. And killing his son.
So nevertheless, no matter what conclusion you may come to, I'm not going to tell you what conclusion you have to think or believe. But what we learn is we need to take our words very seriously. As the preacher, wise man of the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and in verse 4, as he said, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? We need to realize that it is better to not vow than to make a foolish vow. We need to think very carefully about our words. Our words have meaning. And what we say to someone else, what we say to God, what we pray, what we think, and, and say even in the privacy of our homes or in private conversation, they reflect something about our character. And vows are serious and are a reflection of our integrity. You see in Jephthah that he struggled with that, didn't he? When he came home, he says, I made a vow to God. He didn't view himself as saying something rash or foolish. And he recognized that something had to be done. That he needed to keep the vow. Whether it was to the letter of the law or at least in the spirit of the law of the vow. He realized that something needed to be done. He took his words seriously, even though they were foolish, even though they were rash and quick to be made. And what we learn in the New Testament, in the book of James, in James chapter 5, James, alluding to the words of Jesus Himself, in James chapter 5 and in verse 12, he said, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Our words are supposed to be a reflection of God's character. It's supposed to be the reflection of godly character, a character that means what we say. And if it requires... For you to be an honest and honest person who keeps their word, if it takes a vow, what James is saying, that's not really the point. It's not really how it ought to be. If you say yes, if you give your word, if you say and make a commitment, do it. Fulfill it. If you say no, that you're not going to do it, then let your no be no. Say it and mean it. Don't compromise. And if there is a lesson that we can learn from the story of Jephthah, is that very principle. We need to be careful from behaving and speaking rashly. And that we don't need to compromise. And we need to do what God expects of us. 
And we make vows today in a sense. We are in a covenant with God. We are in a covenant relationship with God and we have committed to following the Lord. We need to follow Him and be faithful to Him and we don't need to compromise and turn away from the truth. If you're married, then you have entered into a vow, a covenant relationship with a husband or a wife and you are expected to keep that vow. That vow is very serious. Keep your vow. Keep your promise. Keep your word. That is what God expects. That's what we learn from the story of Jephthah. So tonight, if you are here and you've not made that commitment to following the Lord, if you've not said yes to following God, give the Lord your heart today. Come to Christ. He's willing to receive you and accept you. Turn from your sins. Come confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Be baptized to have your sins washed away and become a child of God. And if you have done that, but you've not been following the Lord faithfully, then we want you to repent. Confess those things that you've done which are wrong. If your words have been careless and you've said some things that you shouldn't say, you've made rash statements and thoughtless and careless statements and choices, come seek God's forgiveness. There's not going to be any shame because we've all probably made those same kinds of mistakes at some point or another. Look to the lessons that we learned from Jephthah and learn the importance of committing your heart and your words, and your life to Jesus Christ. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?